God's holy word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God is so loved and so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to the Savior of the world. Whosoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so also, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has... For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we must have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of God. I now um, introduce uh, Pastor Elkin. He's going to be bringing us the word. Pastor. I invite you to keep your Bible open to that fourth chapter, if you would. We'll be making reference, of course, to it because we think our thoughts for the day, our lessons for today are coming from that fourth chapter. As you're turning, I I would appreciate just a moment to say thank you, thank you, congregation, especially thank the session for the privilege of being with you. I've only been in this pulpit once in my life, 
<laughs> it was for your pastor's installation service. I was with you, some of the old folks might remember, in another location before this beautiful facility was constructed. Uh, thank you for letting me be with you again. Chris, I want to be at uh, that Presbytery licensure exam when uh, you're asked to explain the 21st chapter of Deuteronomy. <laughs> I'm glad it is not my responsibility to do so. <laughs> it's a tough one. I would also say uh, we're delighted to have Danny, Danny Ruth and family coming to be with us that is coming for the church plant in Florence. Uh, there's much chatter about it, uh, much prayer has gone into it, and we are simply delighted that they are to be coming to be with us in Florence. That is the Presbytery of the Mississippi Valley. <laughs> you folk down here are in, in Grace Presbytery. And I often, in past days, would be in attendance at your Presbytery because I work for you. I worked for nearly 35 years uh, with RUF, beginning as early as 1974 in Hattiesburg, and incidentally uh, was, was headmaster of Presbyterian Christian School for a while, which my wife was very uh, involved in the start in 1976. I worked for you. I worked for you for a bunch of years, meaning working for the Presbytery of the Mississippi Valley, Grace, and Covenant. It's a privilege to be with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Almighty God in heaven, Father, Son, and Spirit, same in substance, equal in power and glory, would you give us insight from your word that your spirit might work its truth into our hearts, yes, and into our lives, for we do ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I gave it a little title. The little title is, I'm, I'm glad that I'm a believer. That sounds rather fundamental, doesn't it? We're sitting in church, aren't we? I'm glad that I'm a believer. It was all those years ago because daughter number two is now 41 years old. She's, a pro she's moving toward adulthood, I think. All those years ago, at age something like eight or nine, she posed a question to Dad that obviously I have not yet forgotten. The question she posed to Dad went like this. Dad, how do we know that what we believe is really real? Uh. <laughs> well, if you'd been in Sunday school this morning... You might say right now, Bebo, it's already been said, if you've been in Sunday school, you can get up and go home, but don't do that. <laughs> because Rusty did a very, very admirable job of bringing us to a conclusion of that, kind of, of that kind of question. Hang on, I'll bring it up again in the conclusion. During those years, though, when my wife was, uh, she was willing to work a lot and I was willing to play a lot. You know how those things go. And playing a lot, doing graduate work here, there, and yonder, oh, it was a great life. It was a great life. Study here, study there, 
play a little bit of racquetball, have a good time. But in the midst of those studies, been some studies in philosophy. Doesn't that sound important? What a word. In studying the philosophers, we came across those who are called the rationalists. The rationalists said that there's really only one way to know truth, through reasonable pursuit, rationalism. Well, uh, we might say that uh, that, that a rational argument does not always lead to truth. It at times often demonstrates validity, and there's a big difference between validity and truth. I'll prove it to you. All men have four ears. Ken Shepherd is a man. Ken Shepherd has four ears. That is rationally demonstrated. <laughs> the premises are consistent to the conclusion. The syllogism is proven. But it doesn't have a thing to do with reality. And we know that. Reason will not necessarily bring one to an understanding of the truth, of course. Then there were the empiricists. Oh, who said that you got to experience something. And only through the experience do you know do you come to an understanding of true truth? I was riding down the highway like you often are, riding down the highway today. It didn't happen to me today, but it often happens to you and me. You look off in a distance down a long highway stretch on a hot summer day, and that highway is just covered with water. The closer you get, the further the water moves away from you, it seems. It just keeps moving away. Or being the man of the house... When there's, there's an unusual noise in the house in the middle of the night, guess who has to go and throw the bad guys out? Because the wife is very uncomfortable at that point. Thank God there's never been a bad guy that I've had to throw out. But the sensations were not giving an accurate description of what was happening. Well, does rationalism bring us to the truth? Does empiricism bring us to the truth? Oh, oh, what are you talking about, Bebo? Hang on to the conclusion, please. Hang on to the conclusion, please. It will be the kicker, I hope, if there's a kicker here. But in the meantime, we want to look at this passage for me to lead you to think a thing or two about why I'm so delighted that I'm a believer. This John wrote in the beginning of his first chapter, the Gospel of John, that he writes to bring the story of Jesus so that we would come to the conclusion that Jesus is really God, etc. Had a little previous to speak at uh, the staff, little staff get together at Lake Forest Ranch last Monday. Has anybody ever been to Lake Forest Ranch? No, we ought to go. <laughs> Incidentally, I said to the staff there, the the first time I was ever at that facility up between Louisville and Macon, Mississippi, was in 1956. Having worked with RUF, we were often there for weekend conferences through the years. But, but, trying to explain to the staff there that we are setting the table for God's Spirit 
to be at work. Hint, hint, hint at the conclusion. We set the table, we talk to people about Jesus, but you're not going to reason a person into belief. We set the table, but you're not going to say you had a monumental belief at some point, and therefore the person's got to have that kind of belief, and that's what really proves the truth. Well, we set the table. Hang on to the conclusion. And it was Luke who wrote in the book of Acts, the very first chapter, that he's writing these things to Theophilus so that Theophilus might come to an understanding of the truth. The table was being set. Hang on, hang on to the conclusion. But in the meantime, I want to explain two or three things that have come to my mind in reading this chapter about why I am so delighted to be a believer. Are you? Praise the Lord. The first thing to note is in verse 10 that we're told there that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, propitiation. That's a pretty big word, isn't it? Have you been propitiating lately? Is propitiation one of your normal vocabulary words? Well, it's not one that we use very often, is it? And it's not a word that the Bible uses very often either. But it's sort of like one of those umbrella words that covers a whole bunch of ideas. Jesus is my propitiation. And I'm delighted, therefore, that I'm a believer. Propitiation. Well, what in its most fundamental definition does propitiation mean? You can look it up. Wikipedia, you can look up in a Bible uh, dictionary. It means things like this. A propitiation means turning away wrath by an offering. Turning away wrath by an offering. Wow. In the biggest sense of that word, the whole gospel is encompassed. Turning away the wrath of God by an offering. And what was the offering? The offering was Jesus Christ. Redemption accomplished and applied. Wow. Fundamentally important. It is consistently taught all through the Bible. One man wrote, wrath is averted only by Christ's atoning offering. From this standpoint, his saving work is properly called propitiation. Propitiation. Oh, okay. There's the big concept. Think with me for a few minutes, like some links to a chain. Some links to a chain. Propitiation has a following link to it. Sin. (laughs) To talk about propitiation, we've got to talk about sin. What does the catechism teach us about the word sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. That's good. That's a good definition. So all those years ago, I can almost remember high school. Can you? It was back in the dark ages, a long time ago. And there have been different high school class reunions. One of those class reunions, it was my privilege to do something called a devotional. And doing that devotional to my classmates, not all of whom were there, some of whom are no longer with us. 
But afterwards, uh, the smartest girl in class said to another friend in class, and it got back to me, of course. That's how I can tell it now. It got back to me. You Presbyterians are always talking about sin. And we are. Because the Bible is always talking about sin. Sin is any want of conformity unto, a transgression of the law of God. In Romans, excuse me, in Genesis 6, 9, every imagination of the thoughts of the heart, intents of the heart was only evil continually. Ooh. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Sin, sin, sin. Let me not mistake the opportunity to say to you, you are a sinner. Is that enough? Is that link? fit, propitiation. Here's another link. Propitiation, sin, justice. Justice? Oh, we love justice, don't we? We are bothered, aren't aren't we, because there seems to be a lot of injustice in the world around us. There's war halfway around the world. There are things that go on in our society that we say we're rewarding evil and punishing good. That turns justice upside down. Justice is a mighty big word in the Bible. It is referred to some 585 times in the Old Testament. One man told me, I didn't count them, but he said it, and I sort of believe him. The Word and the Bible concept tell us very clearly that sin is not simply swept under the carpet. Sin must be handled. The wrath of God is expressed toward sin Ultimately, then, it is God's intrinsic nature that explains atonement. Atonement. What do you mean? We're still talking about justice, Bebo. But we're saying about justice that God is going to exercise wrath. Well, we're talking about atonement. Did you grow up going to youth fellowship? <coughs> I, th- I think I was... I was always there. Were you always there? (laughs) I was there, but I didn't get very many stars on the poster board for saying my catechism. Wish I had. But I was always there. And here's something that you and I learned all the way back when we were children in Sunday school or youth fellowship. Atonement at one meant. Because of the meritorious life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf, the justice of God is handled. And we are brought back into relationship with Him because of the work of Jesus. Matthew 16, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how He must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things. 
for the justice of God to be appeased. God provides the means for dealing with his own wrath. That is fascinating. Are you fascinated by that? As a result of which we are brought back into relationship, not because of your merit, because you and I have no merit, but because of the meritorious work of Jesus to be punished for us. So atonement, propitiation, sin, justice, atonement, that doctrine of atonement is the doctrine of salvation. One man said the heart of the reconciliation lies in the readjustment or the restoration of a true personal relationship between God and the creature. I will be your God and you will be my people. It was Owen Palmer Robertson. Some of you know Dr. Robertson's name. He was teaching at the seminary in Jackson all those years ago. I think uh, our class must have worn him out because when we graduated, he left. (laughs) But he wrote that book, The Christ of the Covenants. And he explained every page of that book, I think, saying one particular little line, I will be your God and you will be my people. As I'm reading through Jeremiah also in my personal devotions, that is a recurring theme that I'm noting and underlining in Jeremiah. God brings about atonement. And as a result of that, I will be your God and you will be my people afresh. Well, a link, justice. A link, atonement. A link, love, the love of God. Look how many times John used that word love in this little chapter. It's sort of like it's a blinking light in the front of his mind. Blink, 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 blink. You're riding down the highway at night and you see that blinking light. They want you to pay attention to what they're saying. John wants us to pay attention to what he's saying as he uses that word repetitively in this chapter. The love of God. Yet while God is holy, he is also loving. Yes, Chris, Danny's telling you the right thing. Memorize those catechism answers. <laughs> because it's a, I'll tell you a little secret. Presbytery won't argue with the catechism. <laughs> it ends all discussion when you give that answer. Well, the decrees of God, the decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Good answer. The decrees of God. Into eternity past, God decreed you and me. That's fascinating. I can't get my mind around it because infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. That's, 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 yes, sir. I salute the flag on that. The decree of God into eternity past, no time, no space. Yes, sir. I was the object of God's love into eternity past. Oh, oh. 
How does God execute his decrees? God executeth his decrees in the works of creation and providence. I sort of get that. I can sort of get that one. You know, creation. <laughs> Sunday school. <laughs> Out of nothing, ex nihilo. He made, made everything that exists when there was no material by which eternally present he used that material to make everything. No, no, no. And providence, 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 providence. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are His holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. God's fingerprints are all over you. That is phenomenal. The love of God, God loves me. The B-I-B-L-E tells me so. Hint, hint. Don't worry, my, my first point's always the long one. <laughs> uh, don't worry, I'll have to point out the third one to be sure you don't miss it. <laughs> but we're coming to the end of the first point. Does propitiation belong to you? It is the most fundamental of questions cast in that way. Are you a believer? Do you praise the Lord for being a believer? Yay! <laughs> Let's all stand up and shout once or twice. I am so glad I'm a believer because of the active and passive obedience of Jesus by which God loving me, he has solved my problem of the ages. Has he solved yours? Number two, quicker or quickly done. Number two, I'm glad I'm a believer because God abides in me, in me. You, you just didn't think very much of me. <laughs> but when you think about it, you say, God abides in Bebo. It's what John says in verses 12 and 13 and in 15 and 16. <clears throat> He's pointing out that God abides in every believer by His Spirit being alive and well in every believer. God is dwelling in us. From the previous chapter of 1 John, that is chapter 3, John wrote this. He said, And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Jesus said in John 15, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire. And they are burned. John said, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. God's here. Is God there? God's here by his Spirit. Ezekiel 36. 
And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Chris made an appropriate emphasis, application. We are seeking to be pleasing to God in observance of his ordinances, his statutes, his commandments. Why are you here for several reasons? But one of the reasons is, remember the Sabbath day to keep the holy six days, shall thou labor and do all the work, but the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Lord, the Lord thy God, thou shalt not work in it, nor thy maidservant, nor thy maidservant, nor the ox that is within thy, within thy gates. The stranger that is within thy gates. Not, not the ox in the gate. The stranger that is within the gate. I garbled it. But you get the point. Paul wrote by inspiration, my favorite verse and a half in the Bible. Philippians 2, 12b and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling and it's not Well, if you weren't awake now, I guess you are. I'm sorry about that. Let me see if I can do this a little, a little better now. My f- I can't make it work right. Please, please be patient with me. An emphasis on my favorite verse and a half in the Bible. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not saying, you know this, we know this. By, by putting it in context, it's not saying that you win your salvation by working. But what it is saying is you live out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, causing you to will and do of His good pleasure. It is God's work in us that changes us, that transformed us. It is God's work in us. And the catechism answer on sanctification is exactly right. Sanctification is a work of God's Spirit in us. 1 Corinthians 3 Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? What does He do? He guides us into the truth. John 16. What does He do? He leads us toward the truth in John 16. What does He do? He abides with us as a comforter. He brings remembrance to us of the words of Christ, John 14. He testifies concerning Christ, John 15. He convicts concerning sin, John 16. I abide in Christ and He abides in me. I am so glad I'm a believer. I'm so glad. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. The world's problems at times seem to be oppressive. But the world's problems are not taking into account our abiding in Christ. Well, Number three in my outline gets rather brief. I'm glad that I am a believer because God takes away fear in verse 18, as, as we read together. Let's do a little nuancing of that word fear for just a moment. Well, if you ever get afraid... Sometimes we'll get afraid. Well, that's one definition of fear, isn't it? Look it up, Wikipedia. Look it up, uh, Webster's Standard Dictionary. Very few people even have a copy of it these days. 
But any word you look up is going to have two or three different uh, appropriate meanings in its use. One, we fear God. That doesn't mean we shake in our boots in His presence. And in fact, that's the opposite of what John is teaching us here. We need not fear God. I have to admit, growing up in youth fellowship and growing up in an old-time family, uh, I, I, I sort of applied a saying, you better watch out, you better not shout, you better not cry, I'm telling you why. How does it go? Santa Claus is coming to town. I used to think, I'm on my P's and Q's trying to keep God appeased with me. God is appeased by the meritorious work of Jesus. And now I, I come with that other definition of the word fear. Honor, respect, do proper obeisance. We're in the presence of God. He promised that He was going to be here with us specially in a moment like this. What's your attitude toward God? Well, there's another little use of fear, isn't it? I'm getting old. You're getting old. <laughs> you older than the last time I saw you. <laughs> We're getting a little older, aren't we? There are aches and pains that come along with getting old. Did you ever notice? I noticed. Well, we have some, uh, some sometimes a, a, a concern about that, don't we? It was Brister Ware, an assistant at First Pres in Jackson for about 110 years. <laughs> Still faithfully there. I'll see them this Lord's Day evening at First Pres, Brister and Marion. Brister, who gave me this sentence all those years ago, he said, the afflictions of this life wean us away from the affections of this life. God is generously weaning you and me away. Have you ever noticed how when someone gets significantly older, you begin hearing them say, I just think it'd be great to be in heaven. Well, there are things that we don't want that are actually tools in the hand of a mighty God. And our response is to be, yes, sir. Providence, holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. No fear. I, I don't have to fear driving home at the end of the service. I don't have to fear a big bad disease. I don't have to fear what might theoretically happen in the future. I don't have to fear a financial collapse because God is God and He has made promises to me. It doesn't mean that I will be without affliction. Rather, Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans, said this, what a great privilege to be freed, not from the stroke of affliction, but from its sting. Have you ever been bitten by a snake? I don't like copperheads very much. 
several years ago that Copperhead and I wrestled a little bit. I did eventually win. <laughs> he lost his head in the process. <laughs> but he, 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 left, uh, he left a mark. I can show it to you. <laughs> and brother, that stroke had poison to it. The doctor wasn't very generous and kind at Baptist Hospital. Oh, we've seen a lot of snake bites. Oh, you're going to be okay. I don't think he's ever been bitten by a snake. It was swelling, swelling, swelling. The next day, I, it was swollen halfway across my chest and back. I didn't feel very good. Isn't it fascinating to realize that Affliction's stroke might be present, but God has taken away the poison. I have no fear. I consequently am delighted that I'm a believer. I've said three things. I'm glad I'm a believer because of propitiation. I'm glad I'm a believer because of God's Spirit abiding in me, and I'm glad I'm a believer because I don't have to get all lathered up in fear. Well, QED, it is proven that everybody ought to be a Christian. Well, in Sunday school, we made reference to Psalm 19, and we made reference to Romans 14, uh, and the, 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 the evil man will turn his back on the truth. Yes, the truth is clear. The truth is clear. Creation shows it. And the Word of God says it. So what's the kicker, Bevo? You started with your daughter saying, Dan, how do we, believe, how, how do we know that what we believe is really real? And the point is, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The point is, the B-I-B-L-E, the point is properly expressed at the very end of the first chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith from 1646. The Spirit of God speaks in and through the Word of God to the hearts of God's people and gives us conviction of the truth of the Word of God. We know the truth because God has spoken. And God has taught me some things in this chapter that are very true. Propitiation. Abiding. No fear. Are you delighted to be a believer? Praise the Lord. What a happy day. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you that you have spoken. Thank you that we have confidence in your word. Thank you that your spirit gives us an understanding of the truth. For we pray in Jesus' name the only Redeemer of God's elect. Amen.